yourselves a hand. You got out of bed today. Come on. Come on. All right. All right. Somebody got out of bed this morning. Um, we are in a new series called uh, The Summer at the Refuge. So um, it's it was new last Sunday. We missed that message this series, I'm talking about things like, I'm just kind of grabbing topics out of the air um, that I believe that, that God is going to use and that, that, that I need to hear. And it's, um, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it because it gives me some freedom. You know, in, in summertime, we, we tend to not have much structure. And, um, and so we've gotten in the rhythm of the structure of like, series about certain topics, and we've decided to, to be able to just address and think uh, and, and, and kind of move on. I'm, I'm really, really excited for Summer at the, at the Refuge. Um, today's Father's Day. We're so, let me tell you, I, I love Father's Day because it just reminds us of how good of a father we have in, in God, and it reminds us that uh, we are able to care for people. city to care for, he's given me a nation to care for, and, and fellas, our world needs us, our, in a world that is pushing the man away and pushing the man out, we need to rise up and take a stand and care for the way that God wants us to care for, and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm convicted about that, but um, before we really get into the message today, Next Sunday is Water Baptism Sunday, um, and we, I don't know, if you've never been here for a, a water baptism service, we celebrate baptism, and it is so, so much fun. So um, if you've never been water baptized, let me rephrase that. If you have never made the decision to be water baptized, I believe that is something that you need to make the decision of. Uh, you know, a lot of people will come to me and say, Pastor Adam, uh, I was baptized as an infant. My, my parents uh, had me baptized, and that's great. I don't, um, I, I don't want to dishonor your parents for doing that. But I want to let you know that I believe that it's a decision that we all have to make. Uh, it's a decision that, uh, that I have to make because what it does is it shows people where my heart is at. And it's, it's an outward expression of that. So, when I got married, I, I chose to put on uh, this this little round uh, thing called a ring, and I drew it to um, show people that my heart belongs to a woman, and that my wife my my wife has my heart. Fellas, if let me give you a tip on Father's Day: if you stop wearing your wedding ring. start to question your heart. And so I believe that God wants us to be water baptized because number one, he needs us to be. But number two, he wants us to show 
score of the game. I, I, Tanya's recording it for me, and I, I'm going to watch it later. I don't want to know what's what's going on, and so, um, but I could still hear it because he's on the loudspeaker. And all the way throughout the game, like the beginning of the game, the Cubs are winning, the Cubs are winning. I'm like, and at the end, I'm like, no, how did that happen? And I went back and I watched the game, and I saw exactly what happened, because ball was hit, and there was a fielder by the name of Moises Alou that was underneath the ball that was clearly going to catch me. Like, we still don't know what he would have done. But he's under the, the ball, and Steve Bartman reaches out, and he interferes with the ball, and Moises Alou throws his hands in the air, and he looks up, and he's like, no, how could you do this? And he put all the blame on Steve Bartman. Red Sox fans know nothing about putting the blame on or looking at the injuries of a guy by the name of Bill Buckner. Bill Buckner was the first baseman that allowed the final out that would have won the World Series for the Boston Red Sox in 86 years, the Red Sox went without a World Series until finally in 2004, the curse of the Bambino was broken and the Red Sox won the World Series. And had the Cubs not won the World Series in 2016, this message would have a whole different tone to it this morning. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen. Because 
because we are, we do have a message today. It's not just about joy. This message is about scapegoating. You see, Bill Buckner and Steve Bartman became scapegoats for two fan bases that didn't just blame them, they dehumanized them. Like, like, Bill Buckner was no longer human. Steve Bartman was no longer human because all the blame was put on him for those one, that one play that came to the world while he was All because of this word, scapegoat. A scapegoat, by definition, is one that bears the blame for others. One that blame, bears the blame Scapegoats are rather fascinating if you ask me, especially the psychology of all of it. Who's to blame or putting it all on that one person, that one thing, that one event? We've managed to dehumanize the scapegoat because it's all their fault and they're going to pay for their, the rest of their lives for that one mistake. The idea of a scapegoat is not just these crazy fan bases. The idea of a scapegoat is actually God's idea. It's found in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, verse, verse 6, is where we're going to begin reading. We're going to read this. You can turn in your Bibles to Leviticus 16. The, the, the verses will be on the screen, but also um, you can follow along in the YouVersion Bible app on your cell phone. most holy day of the year on the Jewish calendar is known as Yom Kippur. Um, it is also, so that's the Hebrew word for Yom Kippur. But the name that we have for it is known as the Day of Atonement. It's the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement on the Hebrew calendar is the most holy day of all the year. The entire year is the most holy day of all the year. When I lived in Boston, around 2004, and, and I was dating Tanya, I worked as a valet in, in, in a city um, that was, uh, it was, it was Brookline, Mass., so it was a heavily Jewish-populated city, and um, I, was, I was working valet at a condo complex, and we had a room that was at the condominium complex that a lot of people would, would host events. There is a Jewish synagogue in town that was that was hosting a, a, an event on Yom Kippur or Yom Kippur, and um, I remember vividly this lady walks out of of the service, and I looked at her and I said, "Have a good day, ma'am," and she looked at me with hate in her eyes and she goes, "It is not a good day. It is the Day of Atonement." And I was like, "Whoa!" And I remember all I could think of was if she just the atonement of Jesus, her tone for the day of atonement would be completely different. If she just knew that Jesus wants to atone for her sins once and for all, she wouldn't have to go through this. It wouldn't have so much heartbreak. And so it just rocked my world when it comes to the day of atonement. I've never looked at it any differently. 
So what's happening in the book of Leviticus is God's laying out the ground rules for the day of atonement. And in verse 6 of Leviticus 16, it says this. It says, we're going to read verse 6 through 10, and then we're going to jump down to verse 20 through 22. Aaron was present. Aaron will present, sorry, Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right with the Lord. Verse 7, then he must take the two male goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle, and he casts sacred lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord, which will carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. Verse 9, Aaron will then present... As a sin offering, the goat chosen by the Lord, the other goat, the scapegoat chosen by Lot to be sent away, will be kept alive, standing before the Lord. And when it is sent away to Azazel in the wilderness, the people will purify, will be purified and made right with the Lord. Jump down to verse 20. When Aaron finished purifying the most holy place, the tabernacle, the altar, he must present the live goat. We will lay both of his, he will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat, and then a man specially chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness as the goat goes into the wilderness he will carry the people's sins to an isolated place so let me explain this to you Aaron was the high priest of Israel he would he would get a, a bull a, a, and two goats and he would he would take them and on the day of atonement he would cast lots between the goats. So so the the bull or, or, or the ram was already like like its destiny was already chosen. It was gonna die. But the two goats, he would take he would take lots and it was it would be like rolling dice today or, or drawing straws. And the one that would draw the four straws would be would be the one that would die and the one that would that would win would be taken and it would still it would still live. And Aaron would would place his hands on the one that would that would win the lots, and he would pray and he would put all the sins of the people of Israel on that goat. The bull and the other goat would die, and the reason that they had to die was for the forgiving of the sins of the people, because in in the book of Hebrews chapter nine verse twenty two it says in fact. According to the law of Moses, according to the law that they're that they're following, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. Blood would purify the people. So he goes on to say, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Ladies and gentlemen, the way Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins, the bloodiest death of all time of all time was so that our sins could be forgiven because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so the bull and the goat would have to die, but but there was one goat that was known as the scapegoat. 
the sins of the people would be would be put on that goat. And then a trusted man in the in the in the village, a trusted man would then lead them out into the wilderness, into a, a rocky, desolate place, securing the fact that the goat would never make it back to the town. The goat would, would never make it back to the town. And most likely the goat would either starve to death or fall to its death. Because the goat could not come back. Because what this did, ladies and gentlemen, is it symbolized that when our sins are forgiven, with the shedding of blood, when our sins are forgiven, the, the sins of the people are taken away, far away, and your past can never come back to haunt you. I said your past can never come back to haunt you. It is gone once and for all. And, and God was trying to symbolize to the people that the scapegoat was to take the blame of the people, take the shame of the people, take the, the burden of the people, and take it far away from them so that it never has to return. The scapegoat was innocent. The reason they would cast lots was so that they would confirm that God would be the one to choose the goat. They, they, they would say, we're putting it in God's hand and we're letting him choose. Leviticus is the word Azazel. Many people and theologians have debated what this word means. Some believe that it's, it was the name of a demon. It was a um, it was the name of a place. But if you break down the word in the Hebrew, it, it, it just it blew my mind as I was studying this. The word for Hebrew for goat is the word Az, A-Z. Now the word Azel, A-Z-E-L, which is rest of the word means to be taken away. And so what the word Azazel means is that the goat is taken away. So he's taken away from the village, taken away from the city with the sins of the people on, on him and taken into the wilderness never to, to return again. What is the point of this that we have to ask today? What's the point? Hopefully when you read the Bible, you, you're asking yourself what the point is. If we're fully going to understand the Day of Atonement, we have to understand the purpose for it. Why is the purpose? Why is the Day of Atonement happening? Why is the Day of Atonement even taking place? What does God want with this? And I think there are two two reasons for the Day of Atonement. The first was to cleanse the people, and the second was to be in the presence of the Lord. He wanted, God wanted to cleanse his people, and he wanted them to be able to be in his presence. Because in the Old Testament, it is very clear that where God is present, sin is not welcome, and impurity isn't welcome. They're not there. Where God is, sin and impurity cannot be. Because God is perfect. And so on the, the Day of Atonement, he would take the two goats to, to symbolize the cleansing of the people and the presence of the Lord. Because there is no longer any sin there. Do you understand that? Do you get that? Because because we're headed to a place right now that's 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 far greater than what they were experiencing. And we're gonna we're gonna get to that. God wants us, ladies and gentlemen, He wants you to be cleansed 
so that you can be in his presence. He wants to spend every waking moment with you. It's always been that way. God has never been a God that is so mad at you that he can't be with you. He is mad about you and he wants to be with you. That's why Jesus' name was Emmanuel. His nickname was Emmanuel, which means God with us. He wants to live with us and be with us and never leave us or forsake us. President Dwight D. Eisenhower said the search for a scapegoat is the easiest of all hunting expeditions. It's easy to blame somebody. Look at your neighbor and say, I didn't do it. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, I didn't do it. Now look at your your second choice and say, you didn't do it. (laughs) You didn't do it. It's easy to find somebody to blame. I don't know about you, but I blame everything but me. I blame everything but me. I blame my schedule. I blame my wife. I blame my kids. My kids get to blame more than anything else. Who knows that? Come on, Dad. You know that's true. We blame everything. We've made everything the scapegoat. And when we've done when, what we've taken with the scapegoat is we've made it something that we that God never intended it to be. Because we leave out a part that the people that the Jewish people did in the Old Testament, we leave out a part that they did, and we jump straight to the guilty goat. Right? We go, we skip the confession and we go straight to the guilty. We skip the confession because, you see, the people in, in, in Aaron's time would have to go to the high priest, and they would have to confess their sins to him. And then he would take the sins of the people, and then he would transfer them to the goat. But Moises Salu just looks straight up in the, in the stands and throws his hands up and says, you did it. The fans of the Boston Red Sox after the game, the the, the in the team, I was watching in the documentary, they, they highlight some of the people on, the, on the, the Boston Red Sox that pointed to Buckner. It was his fault they lost. It was Bartman's fault that the Cubs lost. Buckner and, and, and Bartman never had a say in the matter. The people did. But it was, and it, and it wasn't the people's fault. It was the team's fault. Someone on the team should have stood up and said, hey, we should have, we had another inning to play. We had another, both, both errors happened in game six. There was a game seven to be played in both of them, and both of them lost to the Red Sox. No one wanted to take ownership of the mistake. And to this day, we don't like to take ownership of our mistakes. We don't like to say the words, I did it, but that's all God wants us to do. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just 
to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all wrongdoing. God wants to forgive you. He's waiting to forgive you. But you have to admit, I did it. So why don't we? Why don't we like to confess? Most messages that I give, first thing that I want you to, to catch this morning is this, that we blame because of shame. I'm going to say it again. We blame because of shame. The reason we put the blame on other people is because we're ashamed that we made a mistake. Shame was the very first emotion that Adam and Eve experienced in the Garden of Eden when they disobeyed God. The Bible says that they hid because they were ashamed, because they were naked. God looked at Adam and Eve and said, who told you to get naked? I didn't tell you to get naked. You're ashamed because of what you've done. Moise Salu threw his hands up in the air because he was ashamed he missed the ball. We blame because of shame. We're saying, I feel ashamed that I made a mistake, and therefore I'm going to put the blame on something else that's not me. And we take that shame, and we put it on other people. The scapegoat shows us that a new beginning is possible. Because the past doesn't cling to our present and it doesn't cling to our future, the past is gone and forgotten. But there's always that shame that comes back and bites us. The second thing, and really is the most important thing that all of you get out of today's message is this, the whole reason for the scapegoat was to point us to Jesus who would become the ultimate scapegoat, who would settle it once and for all, who would take our past and leave it in the past, never to be remembered again. Ladies and gentlemen, your past is never to become your present because of Jesus, because of the blood that he has shed for you. You never have to remember what you've done in the past. The, the mistakes that you have made are, are the past. They've gone. Get off, get get over it. Get get on with it. But Pastor Adam, you don't understand what happened to me. You're right, I don't understand what happened to you. But I do understand the saving grace of Jesus Christ that has happened to me. Jesus is the final scapegoat once and for all. Think back to the two reasons for the Day of Atonement. Number one is to be cleansed. Number two is to be in the presence of God. Jesus accomplishes both of those things. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 15. It is so rich, so rich. Hebrews 9, 11 says, So Christ has now become the high priest 
what Aaron was? What Aaron was the high priest. Jesus now has become the high priest over all good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was made by was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats or calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time, secured for our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and scapegoats, I might add, the ashes of a heifer could cleanse the people's body from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sin so that we can worship the living God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who were called can receive eternal inheritance that God has promised to them. For Christ died a second time for the penal sin of sin being committed under the first covenant. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise be to Jesus. He is the final, the final sacrifice that we need. He settled it. Earlier I said that sin is not welcome in the presence of God because he is perfect. But I've got good news for you, and that is because of Jesus, sinners are welcome in the presence of God. Earlier I said that impurity is not welcome in the presence of God because he is perfect. But ladies and gentlemen, get this, Jesus sets it all right. Jesus changes everything. Sin is not welcome in his presence, but sinners are. My favorite version of the gospel is found in the book of Luke, chapter 15, and it's Jesus' version of the gospel. He tells the story of three lost things. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Many of you know the story as the prodigal son. And I love to tell it because it's the gospel. But I think as Easterners, we we miss a lot of the story, or as Westerners, we miss a lot of the story because we're not Eastern. And The story of the, the prodigal son is a story about two sons and one father. One day, one of the sons comes to the father and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance. We don't understand and grasp what that meant. Because we, don't, we really don't have an inheritance. We, like, we, we don't use it the way that they did back then. And the way they do it in the Middle East. When the son said, Dad, I want my inheritance now, he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead because in order to receive an inheritance, your father had to die. Happy Father's Day, Dad. And because of the goodness of the father, he gives it to him anyway. He says, you don't deserve this right now, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. And the son takes the inheritance, and the Bible says he squanders it on on extravagant living. We don't know exactly what he did with that. But he took it and he wasted it. And because he wasted it, the town that he lived in, the village, 
traditionally would, would do this thing called the Kazaza ceremony. The Kazaza ceremony was a ceremony where if the son came back home, they would take this big clay pot, they would throw it at his feet, and they would say, you are cut off from all of, uh, all of our village. They would cut him off, they would ostracize him from the entire town, and he wouldn't be welcome back. One day the son is the lowest possible point. He's, um, he's with pigs. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, you know that they do not associate themselves with pigs. They don't eat them. They definitely don't tend to them. And the son is, is, is feeding the pigs, and he's, and he's so hungry. He says, even these pigs have something to eat, and I don't. And he starts to think about his dad. And he starts to think about his home. And he says, and he works this thing up in his, inside of him. He says, you know what, I, I can go home, and I can tell my dad three things. You can look at, it's in Luke chapter 15, you can look at it later. He says three things. He says, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to say, I'm no longer worthy to be, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I've sinned against heaven and earth. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. Those are the three things that he works up in his mind that he's going to go home and he's going to tell his dad. And all the time that the son was gone, the, the father just waited from home and he's just like, son, please come home. Come home. Please just come home. And he's looking out every day, waiting for his return, waiting for his son's return. And finally one day he sees his son coming and he picks up his robe and he exposes his legs, maybe even his underwear, and he's running to his son, and he's saying, son, I love you, I'm here, I'm here, I want you home, you're coming, you're here, and he's on his knees, and he's met with his son. In that moment, the son looks at his dad, says, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But in that moment, he drops the third thing. He was going to tell him that I'm making your servant because he thought he thought that he had to work to get his dad's love again. Do you understand that? He thought that he had to get his dad's work to get his dad's love. But when he saw his dad picking up his robe, taking on the shame of his son, becoming the scapegoat for him, he realized nothing that I can do to make him not love me. Because I have done, I have done the worst of the worst to him. I, I spat in his face and I told him I wish he was dead. And he still loves me. He still wants me home. 
home with him, and I don't have to work to get his love. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that you can do nothing to earn God's love. You can do nothing to earn God's love. And some of you might think that that's bad news, but I got I got great news for you. It's not bad news. It's the best news possible because all the work that needs to be done has already been done for you in the man by the name of Jesus Christ. He took on our sin and our shame and he became the scapegoat once and for all, for all of us, so that we can put our shame, our guilt, our burdens, our mistakes, our past, our abuse, our adultery, everything that we have that we're ashamed of, we can put on Jesus, and he takes it, and he lifts us off of it, and God says, you are now perfect with me because of my son becoming the scapegoat for you, because you put your faith in him, you've trusted him, you are mine. to do with me, and it has nothing to do with you, and it has everything to do with Jesus, and ladies and gentlemen, the son in the prodigal son story understood the love of the father, understood the scapegoat, because he had been told the Jewish tradition, he understood what the scapegoat would do, and he understood in that moment his father became the scapegoat, and he didn't, any, he didn't need to put the blame on anyone else anymore. No matter what you have done, ladies and gentlemen, you do not have to blame anybody else. You can say, I I did it, I'm sorry, I confess it, and God says, that's exactly what I wanted, you are forgiven. But we blame because we're ashamed. We blame because we're ashamed. So this morning, I want you to know that God wants to relieve you of that shame. He wants to relieve you of that shame. When we confess Jesus as the Lord of our lives, the Bible says you are bought with a price. He paid the price for us. So we no longer have to carry that shame any longer. There is nothing, nothing that separates us from the love of God. Do me a favor, stand to your feet. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me ask you. What is your scapegoat? What has become your scapegoat? What has become the thing that you're trying to blame for the past? What has been the thing that you've been trying to blame so that you do not come to Jesus? Because you see, you have to blame something. What is it that's keeping you from coming to Jesus and putting your sins on him? You see, 
we have this, this conception of, of the way we think God should be. <laughs> we think that God should do this, and God should do that, and God should do this, and God should do that. And when God doesn't look the way that we think that he should look, we say, you know what, we'll blame that. Because God doesn't look the way I think he should be. Because God isn't the God that, that I would be. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to blame that. That's going to be the reason that I don't come to know him. Ladies and gentlemen, if God were the God that you think he should be, that wouldn't make him God. That would make you God. And I am so thankful that I am not God. blaming every head bowed every eye closed let me ask the question how many of you would say Pastor Adam I have never asked Jesus to be my scapegoat and I want to confess to him today that I have sinned the Bible says that if we confess our sins faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. I want to ask him to forgive us of our sins. Forgive me of my sins. I want him to come into my life and to be my scapegoat. Would, would you be so bold as to raise, just raise your hand. It's not gonna, we're not going to ask you to, to give a speech. <laughs> we're not going to ask you to come forward. We're just going to ask you to raise your hand and say, that's me. Thank you. Anybody else? I need Jesus as my scapegoat. Thank you. If you raise your hand, I want to lead you in a prayer. Say this prayer. Say, God, I realize that I have sinned. And because of my sin, I am not welcome in your presence. Today, I put my sins on Jesus once and for all. And by Jesus' blood, I am forgiven. Come into my life and save me and make me new. Make me happy. Christian, what are you blaming? What are you blaming for your past? What's the excuse that you're making for not living the life that God's intended you to live? What's your excuse for not serving God the way that you should serve Him? What's your excuse for not spending time with Him every day? What's your excuse for not having a fully committed relationship to Jesus? Father, I come before you and I want to pray and I want to ask that as you move in this place, 
As you move in this place, it's not the words that I say, but it's the words that you have placed in my heart, that you have put on my lips to be said. Father, I pray that you would forgive us for placing the blame on other things. Lord, help us to realize that we can come before you and it's going to be okay when we say, I've done it. It's going to be okay when we admit that we, that we have sinned because you're going to love us anyway. You never leave us or forsake us. God, I thank you for everything that you're doing in this place. I thank you for fathers in the room. I thank you for the mothers in the room. I thank you so much that you remind us that we are all adopted children of a king, a king above all kings, the king that has given us an, an, an eternal inheritance that we can live for you. And Lord, I pray that we would take that inheritance and that we would use it to invest in other people of, of our lives and that we would pour into them and that we would love them the way that you have loved us, that we would forgive them the way that you have forgiven us and that we would be used to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus. And it's in his name I pray, amen. Give God a hand for what he has done today. Come on.